Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Kunefa and Shay, a podcast produced for HowlRound Theatre Commons, a free and open platform for theatre makers worldwide. Kunefa and Shay discusses and analyzes contemporary and historical Middle Eastern and North African, or MENA, theatre from across the region. I'm Marina. And I'm Nabra. And we're your hosts. Our name, Kunefa and Shay, invites you into the discussion in the best way we know how, with complex and delicious sweets like Kunefa and perfectly warm tea, or in Arabic, Shay. Kunefa and Shay is a place to share experiences, ideas, and sometimes to engage with our differences. In each country in the Arab world, you'll find Kunefa made differently. In that way, we also lean into the diversity, complexity, and robust flavors of Mina theater. We bring our own perspectives, research, and special guests in order to start a dialogue and encourage further learning and discussion. In our second season, we highlight U.S. MENA theater makers with an impact nationally and internationally. This season outlines the state of MENA theater today through the lens of multi-generational and multidisciplinary artists. Yella, grab your tea. The Shea is just right. I am so excited for this episode. We are going to be talking about probably my favorite subject, community engagement. As many of you know, I am a community engagement practitioner and run the arts engagement department at Seattle Rep. So I'm so excited to be joined by two of my dearest colleagues, Piron Yousafzadeh and Leah Fakhouri. These two directors and administrative leaders are community engagement practitioners in everything that they do, including their art making and program curation. They work both as independent artists and through organizations. In this episode, we will discuss the nature of community engagement as an artistic practice, how their MENA backgrounds influence their practice, and how the theater atmosphere is or should shift to be community engaged in an authentic and equitable way. Before we begin, let's introduce our guests. Leah Sima Fakhouri is a freelance stage director, arts administrator, and community advocate. She is an immigrant and third culture kid, originally from Lebanon, born and raised in Dubai, UAE, and currently living in Seattle, Washington. Leah holds the positions of Public's Work Manager at Seattle Rep, where she has the honor of collaborating with the community of King County, and Associate Artistic Director of Matcha Theater Works, where she produces and advocates for fearless female theater. Recent directing credits include 17-Minute Stories, The Mask Debate, Aladdin Jr., and Veils. Upcoming projects are Village Theater's You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Leah holds a BA in theater with honors in directing from the University of California, Irvine. Piron Yousafzadeh is a director, writer, and educator, and was recently appointed the producing artistic director at the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center. Prior to this appointment, she served as Jiva Theater Center's Associate Artistic Director and Director of Engagement, where her previous directing credits include Viet Gone, Queen, The Royale, Heartland, and The Lake Effect. She has a passion for new work that centers and uplifts the stories of global majority communities and has developed and directed work at Playwright Horizon, New York Theater Workshop, the Kennedy Center, OSF, Williamstown Theater Festival, Actors Theater of Louisville, Cleveland Playhouse, and more. She is currently developing new works with several writers. Piron is a usual suspect at New York Theater Workshop, New Georgia's affiliated artist, member of EST, No More 10 Out of 12s, and Wing Space, and an alumna of the 2050 Fellowship at NYTW, Sagal Fellowship at Williamstown, SDC Denim Fellowship, Lincoln Center Directors Lab, Soho Rep Writer Slash Director Lab, New Georgia's Jam, and Drama League Directors Project. She was a finalist for the 2020 Zelda Fish Chandler Award from SDC and is a proud member of the union. Piron is a co-founder of Maya Directors. Alongside Kimberly Sr., she co-chaired an SDC committee creating a set of anti-racist best practices for directors. Upcoming projects include Yoga Play at Playmakers Repertory Theater and Heartland at 59E59. She has an MFA from Columbia University. Pirvon and Leo, we are so excited to have you both with us today. I'm going to jump in with our first question because I anticipate just getting to sit back and listen to you three wonderful artists and practitioners talk about your work. So the first question, 
what is your approach to community engagement in your work? So I work at Seattle Repertory Theater uh, as in the Department of Public Works, which is basically community-engaged theater. Um, it is a program that has started at the Public Theater in New York, uh, and it now exists in about 11 partners and affiliates. Um, and the goals of the program are to engage with the greater community of the region and bring people together. And so community-engaged theater is kind of central to my day job, where I'm a, an, just a, an arts administrator, uh, and I run the day-to-day -day of this program. Um, but I'm also a freelance director. And um, the, the Public Works program is so deeply rooted in values and and the values that we hold most central are equity, imagination, and joy. Um, and being a part of some of the theatrical productions that have come from the Public Works program um, has been really awe-inspiring to see how those directors function um, in the rehearsal room, really making space for everyone and allowing everyone the time and breath that they need to excel and succeed and understand where they're at. Um, and that's just been like really inspiring for me as a director myself and just being able to take all that into my own work and kind of re-envision what it is that we're doing. And I've kind of gotten on this like train of like, do we need to have a six week rehearsal period? Can it be longer? Because X, Y, Z people need these accommodations and I want to be able to meet them where they're at. Um, and just kind of pushing, uh, you know, what are the what are the standards of theater that we're currently doing that we currently exist within the, the, the systems that we exist within and how can we push against them? Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how the values of community engaged engagement has kind of pushed its way in the rest of my work as a as a freelance director. <laughs> yes, I love that. I mean, one of the things that I reflect on a lot is that, like, for me, everything is community engagement. And so I, you know, I'm also a multidisciplinary artist. All of us are. Uh, so whether I'm writing or I'm directing or I'm even dramaturging or on this podcast, you know, I'm looking for uh, a way to build community through the arts in any way. And so, it, it, you know, I think it's such a key to to impactful theater work. And there's kind of this like segment of being a specifically community engagement practitioner that all of all three of us are in but you know this this question is is so it can be so broad there's like the work that you do uh that might be the I don't know the central work or your full-time work or with an institution but I love that you've brought up that there is an element of community engagement in so many different aspects especially once you kind of embody that I wonder what would how would you answer this question, Piron? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think I'll echo a few things that Leah said for sure. Um, so my my position, which is very new, is um, as the producing artistic director of the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center Theater Company, um, which um, formed an alliance with Colorado College in 2017. Prior to that, in its 100 year history. It functioned very much in the way that um, a lot of our regional theaters functioned in terms of um, programming and um, the intended audience and um, all of the ways in which the systems of um, capitalism and um and capitalism and the canon sort of co-conspire to maintain a certain aesthetic and a certain audience. And um, the alliance is actually really um, uh, sort of critical to the change in a lot of ways because Colorado College was earlier in its anti-racism commitment than most of the country, which mostly responded about a year and a half ago. Um, and, uh, and so that meant that as an, as sort of an arm of the college, now the fine arts center was held to a different standard. Um, and to me, community engagement and anti-racism work very much go hand in hand because it's about decentering whiteness and decolonizing these spaces in order for, um, 
the idea of, um, I don't even like the question, who's our audience, but like to change that to what communities do we serve um, in order for that to be the mindset shift. And so um, the, the, the theater company was already undergoing a bit of a transformation before I arrived. And now that I'm a part of it, I feel very much like we're um, building on some really exciting steps they took prior to my arrival, um, where they started actually last summer programming outside of the building, getting out into community organizations. Um, and that literal architectural shift, I think, makes a huge difference. Um and this work, um, I think similarly to Leah, like I feel like it very much informs me as a freelance director in terms of thinking about rehearsal as community building and um, and thinking about how we can disrupt some of the traditional practices of theaters that really isolate artists and um, keep us kind of siloed in the rehearsal room until... Some people show up for a preview, and I I question that. I question the secrecy around um, what it is we're doing in preparation for a production, particularly because I think so much of the um, frustrations that I also hear from folks in advancement or folks who run theaters about audiences, subscribers, donors, et cetera, is that they don't have an understanding of the theatrical process. And so I wonder if um, disrupting that more in the process of making the work and actually um, changing the model um, in order to invite more participation could also answer some of those other challenges that get in the way of um, coalition building towards, you know, properly supporting the art. Oh my goodness. My brain is exploding with how much I agree and how much you, how much you said, how much you said. It's like an, it's an overload because you, you touched on, both of you, you touched on structures of uh, white supremacy and colonialism within our theaters that, you know, fight against um, the basis of community engagement, the connection between anti-racism and social justice work at institutions and the work of community engagement, um, the integration of community engagement into the art itself, which is a huge part of, uh, I think, the really like the next step in community engagement, engaged practice. There's a need to break the structure of U.S. theater as it is in order to invite community uh, both as audiences and participants. Um, that It's just so much. It's so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm baffled by the number of, you know, in my freelance work, like artistic directors that I run into that they're like, don't even think about the audience. The audience isn't important right now. And I'm like, what, what do you what do you mean by that? Because why are we, why, why then are we telling this story? Who's this story for? Um, and I, and I think there's something interesting about like, you know, at, at the smaller theatrical level, right. Kind of where like, particularly in the city of like Seattle, that's where like a lot of theater exists is at the fringe level that there's so little cognizant thinking about it, building long-term relationships with the community just as your audience right like even if you don't want to like use the term community just your audience just building long-term relationship with those folks and I think yeah it's mind-boggling to me because I'm like what is the point of this story if there's not someone to hear it and who are the who are the people that we want to hear it and how are we actively engaging with them to come hear this story because it's not enough to say hey we have a ten dollar ticket because if they never felt welcomed into the theater then they're never gonna come <laughs> so yeah we just it, it's mind-boggling truly <laughs> that that very few people actually think about this in their work 
I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, I feel like there are a lot of artistic directors who have contempt for their audiences and um, and wish they were in New York, to which I say don't run a regional theater, um, you know, and 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 it for me, it manifests in programming based off of what did well in the New York Times reviews like, you know, and often I think it results in plays happening in places where you know, those, like, there's so many plays that are just, like, so much about, like, living in New York City, you know, and, and it's, like, why are you doing this? Like, these people have really large homes and yards, like, all, like, the whole, like, the whole sort of conceit of this play taking place in the West Village, like, like, completely falls apart for this audience for whom it does not land at all, and, um, and instead, why aren't you commissioning a play about your place, about your city? Um, but also, I've seen it also manifest in a contempt for local artists and an assumption that if they're local, they're not good. And that is just, I think, so um, defeatist and toxic and um, insulting. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, in my, in all of my travels and in all of the work I've done across the country, I, you know, I have full confirmation that there are great artists everywhere. Um, and of course there are, there are particular challenges in particular cities around, you know, um, uh, identifying and developing, um, certain, subsets, you know, within the artistic community. Um, but I think it can be a theater's, one of a theater's like community engagement responsibilities to help cultivate that pool of people, that group of people, and to give them opportunities so they can learn and grow and build craft. Um, and instead, it just becomes um, about like, who can we get you know, the number of times I've heard this, the sentence, like, who can we get from as though we're acquiring a product from New York or L.A. or Chicago when we have when when folks haven't even really properly considered or gotten to know the artists in their own community. Again, I just come back to the fact that, like, if that's not what you're interested in doing, then then it would be it would require a lot less airfare for you to just then go be in New York or go be in LA or go be in Chicago. Um, uh, yeah, there are incredible, like, of course, those cities have incredible um, communities of artists. But um, I think part of, you know, part of the responsibility I see myself having is to, you know, to find those folks in Colorado Springs. And if I hear someone say to me, well, there just aren't that many BIPOC actors here. I question that and I, 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 my sense is there aren't that many BIPOC actors you've gotten to know, you know, or you haven't given them, like, again, it's that catch 22 of how do you get really good at what you do through opportunity? How do you get opportunities by proving that you're really good at what you do? So like at some point, someone's just got to take a leap of faith and say, hey, I see something in you and I'm willing to work with you to develop it. What you were saying, I'm like, this is exactly why public works as a program is like the future of theater in my mind, because we believe that anyone and everyone is an artist in their own right. They all have a story to tell and they are all talented in their own right. And we just need to meet them where they're at. And so building that relationship with folks and like giving them opportunities to develop those skills and develop and push them is is like so integral to the program. And because the program is part of an institution, the goals of the program then kind of like seep out like little little streams into the rest of the organization and kind of pull them along to be more values oriented and start to think in these ways. And so I think about like the things that we do in our program to meet community where they're at, like radical hospitality and and just being available to listen to people when they have issues come up and and just meeting them where they're at in their in their in their community spaces if that is a thing that they need if if transportation is a thing that they need like we're going to help them figure that out and I'm like if that was extended to like 
the professional artist pool, and I put professional in air quotes because another thing that our program does is try to question what does what is professional. Um, but if we were to look at you know the extend those those opportunities to the professional artist pool, I'm like how how much more access would that give? folks to be able to engage with us because, you know, childcare is an issue. Transportation is an issue. If they can't afford to quit their day job to do this, it's an issue, right? And so how are we bringing down barriers to really open up our doors and welcome those artists in and engage with them? Because they are, they exist, they're in town. And if we're not providing opportunities, if we're not hiring them, if we keep going out of town, then what's going to happen? They're all going to up and leave, which is what is happening in Seattle. Everyone is leaving. Y'all are uh, touching on um, so many interesting and exciting facets of the kind of roadblocks that we face as community engagement practitioners. Um, And as Leah kind of outlined, some of the possibilities of how we should be approaching this work and the models that exist that we can um, that we can utilize and and replicate in order to make all of theater community engaged. I really, I mean, I love public works. It's incredible. I love the program so friggin' much, and um, and I think it's like I constantly ask why can't all theater be public works <laughs> I would have no issue with that I, th- I completely agree that that is the future of theater and I think about like these models exist and 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 I want to go into especially the fact that the idea of community engaged theater the the whole uh the integration of community into theater originated and uh, and continues to thrive within grassroots and POC theaters. And larger theater companies, regional theaters um, and theater institutions really kind of took this idea as this new cool thing. Um, kind of we talk about community engagement as a relatively new field at PWIs, um, but it's it's just because PWIs started to commit to this in a real way in the past several years in conjunction with, I believe, this swell in interest in equity, diversity, and inclusion work. Um, and it's kind of a bit ironic and frustrating, in my opinion, that uh, given that many POC theaters formed specifically due to being excluded from these larger institutions and needing to create theater for and by communities. And since their inception, they have been fully community engaged uh, theaters. So how do you, as practitioners working at these theater institutions, reconcile the past and present of community engagement in these institutions? And how do we approach this work without poaching resources or claiming credit? Um, And how can we perhaps learn from the structures and the um, kind of practices that already exist instead of feeling like we need to invent the wheel that is often uh, the kind of, I feel as though white savior mentality, the kind of manifest destiny mentality that large institutions kind of often bring to the new cool thing, whatever that might be. And I feel like is uh, with community engagement at the present moment. Many different questions here, but what are your reflections on all that? I mean, I got to like, first, I got to poke at the notion that there are making a a serious effort because I I'm just going to go ahead and say that PWIs are not making a serious effort. It is uh, tokenizing and half-hearted at best in most cases, with a few exceptions that break that you know break that rule. But um, so that's for me that's item number one, and um, and I think that. I mean, when when I think about like these smaller BIPOC run organizations who have built themselves with and for community, dedicated themselves to the work of connecting with and uplifting their community, it was part of their um, it was it was the encoding of their DNA as an organization. And so it's a it's the heartbeat of how they work. 
And then all these PWIs are just adding on an appendage. Like they're like, you know what? I could live with or without this appendix. I could live with or without this gallbladder, but let's try it, you know? And it's, so it's, I mean, in my experience, the least funded, the least um, supported in terms of staff, and also the least integrated. Um, because the very notion that there's a marketing department and then there's an engagement department is broken. The idea that, because what that means is that, and I've had this experience, is that it's my job as the director of engagement to find the melanated people to come see the show while marketing continues to do their work business as usual. And no one is interrogating the fact that the traditional audience is actually a very limited niche audience. It is white, it is older, probably 60 plus, 55 plus. Uh, they're wealthy, uh, largely suburban. And did I mention that they're white? They're white. Most of the theater's operations, staff, resources, strategies, processes, procedures are all being dedicated to this incredibly niche group of people. While then one person or two people are supposed to then account for and connect with and forge relationships with everybody else, which also includes young white people and, you know, younger and older black and brown folks, right? And so the way I reconcile it, I mean, you know, sometimes I just think like, oh, we should all just go away and then just give all of the money to the BIPOC run organizations and just disappear. If a, if a PWI wants to do engagement work, then they have to look at that as the dramatic restructuring of their entire organization and a complete reevaluation of mission, vision, and values and a complete reevaluation of job descriptions from top to tail. Because if it's going to be the heartbeat, then everyone's got to be invested. But if they just want to hire a brown person to go around telling people about the one black show they're doing in February, like they can keep doing that and they'll keep burning people out and that person will keep leaving after a couple years and they're not going to actually get anywhere. And then as their audiences die, they will become irrelevant. And, and yes, yes, a hundred percent. You've like articulated the uphill battle. I feel like I've been fighting my entire career, but, and to add to that, that that's the way that tokenizing way of doing community engagement, that's fully based on audience development. That's tokenizing that has nothing to do with structural change has also done lasting harm. Like what I feel like most, like my first few years at, <laughs> at an organization is undoing the harm of past attempts at community engagement, which have fostered distrust. But, you know, we're not dumb. POC communities, we are not dumb. We know when you're try trying to get our money, trying to get take advantage of us, and when you're not going to invest in a relationship with us. And so, and these PWIs have done that, like not to mention the history of racism and exclusion that many, most, all uh, are coming from in their artwork and the way that they've... Um, They've structured their entire existence, but in the attempt to do community engagement, they've done it irresponsibly that has caused lasting harm to, I think, this new wave of practitioners that I consider us all a part, which I think we're, we're shifting that, um, the mission, the mission of community engagement. We're we're centering relationship, we're centering partnership, and we're centering culture, uh, culture change and structural change at these institutions and demanding structural change, um, anti-racism and equity work, uh, or else this, this cannot continue. But you're completely right, Pirone. It is, it is an uphill battle. If not, sometimes it feels like an impossible barrier. And I do think that for some institutions, it is an impossible barrier that it's, or it, it, we ain't going to see it anytime in our lifetimes. Um, so I think that's something super important to, to recognize. It's just, it's such a huge uh, approach to approach responsibly. Yeah. 
And I and I also just want to add real quick, like those engagement leaders at those institutions at the at these PWIs are completely set up to fail. Um, I in my previous position, I was completely set up to fail. I had no staff; it was just me. I had the least resources of any department, and the position it put me in was. Yes, upon my arrival, I could immediately see that there was a lot of harm done prior to my arrival to the BIPOC community. And so I went on basically a listening tour and was trying to understand the trauma that already existed and then also try to build, start to build trust, right? Start to forge relationships with folks um, in a meaningful way. But then what inevitably happened was that anytime the institution failed on the on on the fronts of equity, diversity, inclusion, justice, anti-racism, I got all the feedback. I got all the anger, of course, because they trusted me and they felt safe with me. But what I ultimately realized was this institution did not care that I was taking the bullet and in fact benefited from the fact that I was on the front lines hearing all of this feedback and then communicating it back to leadership until I finally got to the point where I said, you need to be having these conversations. I don't need to, I know that y'all messed that up because I was fighting you on the decision, right? Like I was trying to prevent the very thing that is now getting backlash. So y'all need to sit down. And that that was, you know, one of the sort of turning points where I realized just how um, h- how impossible my task was because of how isolated I was and how uninvested the rest of the organization was. I think y'all have like touched on literally everything. Like there's very little I can add. The only thing I can uplift is like, reconciliation like probably not gonna happen in our lifetime i think what you said like they're gonna crash and burn right their audiences is gonna die in the next like 40 years they're all gonna die and then who's gonna be funding this theater who's gonna be running this theater because all the old white guys who are running the theaters are gonna be dead and it's just like the institution of theater as we know it is dying until there is like something that comes from it that change that fundamentally shifts how we create theater, why we create theater, and for who we create theater, because even the way in which we create theater and like we're seeing this right now, it's not sustainable. Why do we do ten out of twelves? I don't understand. Why are we trying to kill ourselves creating a story? It makes no sense, <laughs> and like it's all rooted in colonialism. And so it just, it needs to all crash and burn for something new to come and a phoenix to be born and for like the next generation and BIPOC artists to come take over and like do something better with it because that that is not rooted in racism and colonialism. And yeah, it's just, it, it's got to crash and burn. Honestly, Leah, sometimes I really, really feel that way. You brought it back to the heart of it, which is, why are we telling these stories? What, how is storytelling not community engaged? How did it get to this point? <laughs> like we literally, if you go back to the origins of why theater exists, is to engage and connect with community and to tell the stories of your community. That is why humanity started to tell stories and how theater started. And so to look at the current structure of theater in the United States and in most of the Western world, how did we get to this point? I mean, capitalism has (laughs) totally taken us away from the roots of theater. And so there is this element of we kind of need to start over. Starting over, honestly, would kind of be easier, in my opinion. It's, it ain't going to happen. Maybe, probably. And so we work within these institutions because they have resources. And they, and in my opinion, it's like, well, we might as well work with what we can and, and fight f- for change where where we can instead of abandoning it all. But it would be easier to go back to our roots, to to start from nothing, because community-engaged storytelling 
is inherent to us as people. We have our, our history and our, I don't know what has become of humanity has, has strayed from that. Uh, so that's what I kind of constantly go back to and kind of have faith in, but also ironically also gives me no faith at the same time. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking about like the fact that there have been conversations about on like a board level that theater is not political and it should not be political and the theater should not be political. And I'm like, what is the point then if we're not being political and not talking about things that people that our community needs to talk about right now, if we're not supporting our community as a, as an institution, then what are we doing? And then that goes back to like, who are the people, the people on the board are the people who don't have to engage in politics because their lives are very comfortable. They're not thinking about our immigration policy is still a, a inhumane garbage fire. They're not thinking about uh, book bans in public schools. Um, you know, they can probably afford to send their kids wherever, you know, they know that they're, they're going to get the education they want them to have. Right. And so it's, it's this, the donor class um, speak from a position of privilege to then dictate what the, like what we should program and what we should be doing. And I'm like, have you heard of like ancient Greek theater? What do you think Sophocles and Euripides were like, what do you think Antigone is? I'm just like, it is a critique of extremism, you know, I, I hear this all the time where it's like, you're polluting this, you're polluting what theater should be or whatever. Um, or you're, um, you're, you're not sticking with tradition. I'm like, well, if you actually knew your theater, I mean, also like me talking about the ancient Greeks, like that's through a hella Western white gaze of my like graduate education, which I totally acknowledge. But even through that, you know, there, the proof is there that theater from its supposed inception was political and was in response to what was happening in that day and age. I don't know. And then the other thing that it just gets me thinking about is like, well, boards and then political candidates, right? And how they raise money and how Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez like didn't have PACs, didn't accept corporate dollars and did it all with like people giving them like 10 bucks, 25 bucks, 40 bucks. And I'm like, okay, so that there's proof out there that there's a different model for sustain, like for sustainable, successful political fundraising, right? Um, and how can we in the theater perhaps find our way of instead of taking the easy, the easy, you know, fifty thousand dollar check that comes with a quid pro quo and comes with limitations on what you can program and what you can say and what you can say you're about like how do we find x many people who are like-minded justice oriented and politically driven to write those smaller checks that can allow us the freedom to say what we want to say and engage a community who's actually down to be part of that conversation I was just going to say, I'm here for the version where theater becomes a public good and is like fully funded and so easily accessible and it's available to everyone. That's what I'm here for. When, the day when that happens. Um, and there was something you said about education. And I think that that is where a lot of it stems from, right? Like our, our theatrical education system and the way that we train artists is rooted in the same values that these PWIs have, right? It's all colonialist. It's all backwards and, and really taking the values of community engagement and instilling that in the educational process would actually allow us to like the, the future generation of artists to actually come into the world and, and make better change. Because I feel like as soon as you graduate from whatever degree you have, you come out and you're like, that's actually not helpful at all to anything I need to do. And now I need to unlearn everything I've learned and relearn everything in a, in another system that is also trying to push me down and keep me from getting to where I need to go. It, it stems from there, like from education as well. 
Y'all are both starting to talk about, um, so what do we do? The, you know, we've identified so many barriers um, as well as kind of, I feel like given this like history of community engagement, <laughs> um, which I will also to, de to decenter the, the white lens and to connect it also to this Mina podcast. I mean, if we're looking at Mina theater, Swanasa theater, all of it is rooted in uh, politics, in some type of community connection, community engagement, uh, social responsiveness. I mean, I'm thinking even of like the most silly, ridiculous puppet comedy that happens in Egypt. Like that is a community need. It's a response to what the people and what the culture needs at that moment. Um, not to mention the incredibly huge movements of political theater happening across the Middle East, North Africa, Southwest Asia. Um, but I want to talk and get into this question of how do we approach community engagement work responsibly? How do we approach partnership responsibly? Um, and how do we, what do you see as the, as a structure that can support this work without draining it? I mean, public works, it is an, it's part of an institution, but the goal of the program is to build long-term, sustainable, mutually beneficial relationships with community organizations in the city. And so really, it's about maintaining those relationships. It's all about relationship building, right? We have these partners, we meet with them every quarter and we're like, hey, how's it going? How can we help you? What are things that we're not providing you right now that we can continue to do? Is this still mutually beneficial? Are you getting what you need from us? In addition to, are we getting what we need from you? Um, which is access to community, right? Like just like bring people, come see shows. Um, and so I think like, fundamentally, if you're engaging with a community on a show because the show is Asian and you're like, it's a Vietnamese show and we're going to go find the Vietnamese center and we're going to invite them to come see the show and that is the end of that relationship, you've done something terribly wrong and go back and engage with them again because look, if they like the Vietnamese show, they're going to like other shows too. Like, keep inviting them to come see shows. So it's about building those long-term mutually beneficial relationships, which is exhausting. Yes. I'm not going to like knock it down and say it should be easy for everyone to do. It is exhausting. It takes time. Just like our development department spends their entire time fostering and building relationships with those people who are going to give us money. And it just happens that all of those people are white, old, rich people, but it's the same thing. You need a team to continuously be engaging with those folks. Yeah, I mean, I think that like first and foremost, PWIs have to, I mean, well, A, completely re-examine their institutional structure and how they've put their community engagement person in a place of harm and fix it. Uh, <laughs> so that's item number one. Like, I don't think the work can begin until the structure's right within the house because otherwise... Otherwise, like, you're just going to end up showing your ass, you know? Um, I think that it's important to maintain always an awareness that in cultivating these relationships, building them, sustaining them, we're always working for harm prevention, harm repair, and healing. Um, and that that one should never assume just because you've showed up with a great idea, you've, you automatically have trust. Trust is earned and it takes time. Just like Leah said, like you have to be willing to invest and it can't just be like, oh, we did Viet Gone. We talked to this Vietnamese organization. Look at us. We did it. Bye. You know, um, and rather, yeah, to put in the work, which is why I think the restructuring of institutions is so important because um, the, the people who work in marketing should be doing that work. The people who work in advancement should be doing that work as well in different capacities. But, you know, it's, it's not like 
people of color don't have money. It's not like, you know, I mean, I could write a check. Um, I just haven't found an institution that's deserved it. You know, uh, not a PWI. I've given my money to plenty of other organizations, but um, I just want to be clear. Um, but, um, you know, it comes back to this thing of like, are you just going to hope that like this little dinky little department you set off to the side and um, is going to take care of it all for you? Or are you actually going to allow the possibility for your own institution's transformation by transforming your practices and your assumptions and your job descriptions in order to actually approach the work as a team, as opposed to dumping it on one person who probably doesn't have enough to show to a community to earn their trust? That's where I that's where I'm trying to start, you know, and and having learned from my prior experience, you know, really just trying to disrupt any notion that we're just going to hire one person and our community will be engaged, you know, because I was that person and it's an impossible responsibility and it doesn't actually yield meaningful results. Um, at this point, I still have those relationships. The institution doesn't. Because you built those relationships. Yeah. And they built them with me more as an individual than they did with me on behalf of the organization. Because they knew what was up. Totally something that I have faced and something I'm constantly um, trying to ensure does not happen. And it's all about decentering myself as an individual and creating these sustainable relationships that have more than one touch point. And that means because my department's a tiny, tiny, little, tiny, itty bitty department of two people, like most community engagement departments, like you all talked about, you know, small budget, small group, small team. Uh, but what makes it a little bit more set up for success is that there is a cross-departmental and institutional commitment. And so I'm making sure that every connection that I have, every partnership that I begin to really establish touches at least somebody else in a different department, that they're connected with someone in the marketing department, in the development department, in, in uh, the rest of senior leadership, in the public works department. Um, there are so many different best practices, but we have to decentralize and break down hierarchy at the organizations to even set them up to be prepared to take on those relationships. Not to mention the people that I am connecting these community members with, these community leaders and organizations with, have to be ready to welcome said folks often that are from POC communities. So they have to have an anti-racism and racial equity lens. So that is one of the ways in which this EDI work is integral to community engagement. Because once they're in our door, I need to trust the organization and all of my colleagues to not do harm and to build on that relationship. That's, it's incredibly important. We can't do this work. And the other thing that I'll say is that I think that, you know, the, the, the first thing that a lot of PWIs are doing to start their community engagement work is hire a person or start a department. And that is a huge red flag to me. That means that it will be fully, all of the burden will be placed on this person. All the things that you outlined, Pirone, will happen. And it will be a siloed and dispensable department. And I have seen that at places I've worked and at my colleague theaters. And what, what made me be okay with entering Seattle Rep specifically was that they had a cross-departmental community engagement work group. They were doing this work for a few years without a department and every a person from almost every if not every single department was involved actively in doing community engagement and they brought me on to organize it and to make it sustainable and i was like okay all right i can come in here it's indispensable to your work right now 
every department understands how they are doing community engagement and they have to do community engagement. I can be like a little addition that uh, that can help you out in that. But if it's if there is not already some type of supportive structure, it will absolutely fizzle away and die eventually. Yeah, it has to be in the ethos, right, of the organization. That's the thing. It's like, and, and the fact that they were doing that work prior to your arrival, which is so like, oh my God, I just like swooned a little bit when you said that. Um, <laughs> it healed my trauma just a little bit. Um actually allowing it to infuse their lens and their approach, right? And and I guess that's the thing for me is that community engagement is is more an ethos than it is a department. And when we think about it like, oh, well, we'll just like put this desk over here and hire this person. It's like, well, well, what's the artistic director's investment in it? Because like I actually think artistic direction is community engagement. Like that's the job. Um, and, you know, where is the executive director in that conversation? And also, like, how are you creating opportunities for um, people from all over the organization, like you were saying, to, like, develop a brain trust, you know? And, like, everyone at that theater has lives and hobbies and places they go when they're not working. <laughs> and, you know, and so they have ideas. Um, and when you put it out there like, hey, we're thinking about the organizations we might want to engage for such and such production, if you're just one person working by yourself, <laughs> like it's just you and Google, right? And like every if everyone can participate in that conversation in some way from the master carpenter all the way to the assistant company manager, like suddenly you have just this much richer um dialogue because you're invariably including more people of different backgrounds from different age groups with different interests ideally also um of different racial demographics if you know the PWI has done some work on that front and like that's like that then that then that department can proceed but it has to there has there have to be collaborators and those collaborators should be at every level of the organization i'm also thinking about you know pwis predominantly white institutions and you know that that people in those positions that you listed pirone are often white people and if you're thinking oh how can i possibly engage with the community i'm a white person then probably you should not be in that role because if you're hiring someone who is bipoc to run the, the community engagement department that you are now creating then you clearly don't have enough people of color on your staff preach yes all absolutely 100% yes i just want to like abolish the division between marketing and it makes no sense and community engagement and just call and just like create a new department called like community development or you know or whatever i don't know what to call it but just like put all those people in a room together so that there isn't the one person who's like all i do is send subscribers emails while this other person over here is trying to get all the melanated people to come to the theater you know like just break down these these stupid arbitrary lines. They're not a law of nature. Like God did not create the marketing department on the sixth day. So like, let's just like put it away and just, you know, like, I'm just like, why are we acting as though like, it's like gravity or, you know, like the law of, of like how these theaters are structured. It's not, it's flexible. We made it up. And some of it's stupid. So let's make up something else. I'll also, so I've been like trying to uh, come up with this kind of perfect, ideal community engaged theater landscape, like image for myself. And what, and like, what would happen if we burned it all down? What would, what would I build up? And it's still a work in progress. But at this present moment, what I would say is, there would be no gigantic theaters that are eating all of the resources. It would be all small to mid-sized theaters that share resources, that identify what is needed in the community and 
each have kind of specializations or um, or communities that they speak to uh, specifically and collectively work to create and tell the stories that the community wants and needs, share resources, share audiences, and share space, share artists, share pipeline. So there never needs to be anything that is not local, that we can create these local um local stories, local theater together. And if one person doesn't have what they need, you have every other theater everywhere to to draw from, to work with. That's what I want to see. And it is a total burn down and build back up utopian society. But that is my ideal community engaged landscape at this present moment. I love that. It's like where a bunch of theaters can be like, hey, do you have a cup of sugar? You know? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then it's like, yeah, no problem. And then next week I might ask you for some flour. And like, but that's collaborative, not competitive. And that's the other thing we have to root out of the culture, right? Is that everything has to be done competitively because capitalism. And I think, you know, every story is worth being told. Because I think there's so much in that competitiveness that's like, well, we can't tell this story because we need to only do this many stories. And so there are so many stories that are not being told. And that is how we came to like many, many years of just white theater. And that these big institutions dictate what what the trends are around stories. We talk so much in this podcast about how Mina theater practitioners are kind of, we're constantly responding to PWIs and what white people are like white people telling our stories. <laughs> and so as, you know, especially as writers, we feel as though we need to write a certain story to correct perception instead of just r- telling the story we need to tell or we want to tell or that our community should hear. And and because so much power and so much audience lives within these PWIs and large theater institutions, you know, Smaller POC theaters, MENA theaters are constantly responding. We're telling whatever story they're not telling or we're telling the other side of the story instead of doing something that is truly community engaged, which is saying what story needs to be told and telling that story and telling it well and being supported in that. You know, that that's the utopia I want to see. And it just doesn't make any sense to me that it doesn't exist right now. But, you know, we all know why it doesn't exist. I go, I get it. I get it. But <laughs> but it's very frustrating to fight against that history. And yet we persist. Yes. Yes. Pirone, bringing it home with exactly what we need. Thank you so, so much. You two are some of my favorite people in the entire world. I love you both. You're like, we're, we're all together. We're getting through. We are persisting in this together. Uh, we will change this theater landscape through this work. It's an uphill battle. It is so draining. Um, I want to name and acknowledge the heart the energy, the pieces of yourself that you have put into this work that you have offered to community uh, that you have not offered that has been stolen from you um, in service of this very important work. And, you know, we just need to acknowledge that. I don't know what to do with that acknowledgement, but it needs to be out there. Um, and, And I'm so thankful for both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having tea with us. This has been another episode of Kanefa and Shay. We're your hosts, Marina and Nebra. This podcast is produced as a contribution to HowlRound Theatre Commons. You can find more episodes of this series and other HowlRound podcasts in our feed on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to search HowlRound Theatre Commons podcasts and subscribe to receive new episodes. If you loved this podcast, post a rating and write a review on those platforms. This helps other people find us. 
You can also find a transcript for this episode along with a lot of progressive and disruptive content on HowlRound.com. Have an idea for an exciting podcast, essay, or TV event the theater community needs to hear? Visit HowlRound.com and submit your ideas to the comments. We hope you tune in next time. Thank you for joining us on Quinefa and Shay. Yellow, bye. bye.